So worshipful. Thank you, choir. And orchestra, you always add so much to our worship service. Thank you for being here this morning. I want to spend the next few weeks thinking about the church from the opening chapters of the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it has the history of the early church. The Gospels have Jesus from his birth, life, death, resurrection. But what happens after he is ascended to the Father? The book of Acts is the history of those opening days of the church. And what was it about the church that, that made it grow so, so fast and spread so widely across the Roman Empire? What was it that was so attractive about that early church? I think if we can recapture that vision of the early church contained in the opening chapters of the book of Acts, we will have a new vision for what First Baptist Tifton can be in Tifton, Georgia today. The sermon this morning it comes from the several passages in those opening chapters, but I'm going to focus on chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. Stephen is preaching to a crowd of Jews who have gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And this is what he says of the Jews. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Him. And he testified with many other words and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they were going about the business of being the church, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What do we need to do to add to our number those who are being saved? Let's bow together. Father, as we come together, we want to be the church. And whatever it takes to be the church from those opening pages in the book of Acts, to 2013 in Tipton, Georgia. Show us, Lord, and we will do. Help us love and serve and tell others all about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if y'all saw it, but a grasshopper just flew right across the the congregation, and it reminded me of the plague of locusts 
in the book of Exodus. It also reminded me of what John the Baptist ate, and it was not very appealing. But maybe that's just a, a wake-up call that we pay attention. It could have been worse. I remember one evening in the chapel a bat flew across the congregation, and that woke everybody up. But we need to be alert and attentive to God's Word this morning. If we are going to be the church, let's say we have group A and group B, and group A calls themselves the church, and group B does not call themselves the church. What is it about group A that distinguishes them as the church? It's got to be more than just putting your name on a roll somewhere. It's got to be more characteristics that distinguish those folks in group A as a church from every other group that does not. I've heard a lot of definitions from the church, a lot of people criticizing the church. Some people say the church is no more than a country club. And you come and you join it and you pay your dues and you abide by the rules and you go through these certain rituals. And to some that's what the church is. Some say the church is just a museum just a, a place where folks come and I'm the curator and I point out all the important relics from the past and we celebrate the good old days. Some people say the church is a building and I'm afraid this is a misconception that we have continued to perpetuate. The church some people say is just a building. Like you ride down 404 Love Avenue and you say that's my church. No, that is not your church. That is your church building. There's a difference between the church and the church building. The church is the people. And we get this mixed up all the time. The church is not bricks and mortar or roof and walls and pews. The church is the people of Christ who have been called out to follow Him. The word church in the New Testament means the called out ones. Those who have been called out to love and serve and follow Jesus. But our mistake comes in thinking the church is the building. And I, I was thinking, you know, even as a child, I learned that old, that old little poem, you know, here's the church, say it with me, here's the steeple, open the door, and there's the people. There they are, all happy and jumping around. This is wrong. This is not the church. This is the building. This is the steeple. Here's the church, it's the people. The church is the people of God. So if the church is people, it's not a building, it's not a facility, because there are churches everywhere that don't have facilities. If it's not a facility, then what, what distinguishes those people in group A from those people in group B? What makes these people a church and those people not a church? Well, I have four distinguishing characteristics in your bulletin this morning to help describe what a church is, and it comes right out of these opening chapters of the book of Acts where it recounts for us the history of the church. After Jesus has ascended into heaven and the, and the apostles have the message of the gospel, how do they propagate it? How does it spread? How does it become the church of Jesus Christ that is all over the world today? Well, it all started with folks who believe in Jesus. That is the foundational characteristic of a church, is people who have come together and of their own free will and volition have made a deliberate decision 
to believe in Jesus, to believe in Jesus Christ. It all began in Matthew 16, 16, where Peter gives his confession. And he says, you are the Christ. That means the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, upon this faith, this rock, I will build my church. It all began with the belief that Peter confessed, that the other disciples adhered to, and that they began to preach. In Acts 1.15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the brethren. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he began to preach, and it says, they believed. There were 120 in that upper room. And they constituted themselves as a church because they believed. They were believers. And then over here in verse 44 of Acts 2, it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And there were about 3,000 people that day in the church. And it says they were a church because they believed in Jesus. The church, first and foremost, is a group of people, a specific group, who've gone on record declaring their faith in Jesus Christ, their belief in Him. Some folks have even called it a believer's church. That's what distinguishes us from other organizations. We are a church, a group of called out people who believe in Jesus. Now let me tell you what this contrasts to. This is in contrast, for instance, for instance, to the Church of England, which is a state church. The state church is supported by taxes, and you are a member of the Church of England by virtue of being a citizen in the nation of England. A state church is everyone in that state is automatically a member of that church. It's in contrast to a given church. Church, a given church is everyone whose family is a member. When you're born, you're automatically become a member of that church at birth. So a believer's church is not a state church where you are a citizen. It's not a given church where you're born into it. A believer's church is a church made up of people who have deliberately and personally declared their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what distinguishes the church from every other institution or organization in the world. It is believers who have professed their faith in Jesus. Secondly, it is people who walk with Jesus, who spent time with Him, who, who learned from Him, who have been discipled by His teachings. In the first century, Christianity was not just another, another religion. They had bukuls of religions in the first century, just as we have today. But Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that's what distinguishes us from every other group and organization. It's a relationship with Jesus. Let me give you an example from the opening chapters of Acts. In Acts 2, we just read where Peter, what is his background? He is a fisherman. He's a fisherman by trade. And here he is standing up in front of a Jewish crowd of thousands who are in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Now, I always thought Pentecost got its name because that was when the Holy Spirit fell. But that, that was the second time that Pentecost got its name. The first time Pentecost got its name was because it was 50 days, Penta 50 days after Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he went up on Mount Sinai and came down with the book, the law, the Ten Commandments. 
So Pentecost, they always gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate that feast of Pentecost, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And it was at that time, thousands of Jews are in Jerusalem. Peter preaches, and many of those Jews give their hearts to Jesus. Now, I'll tell you that to, to ask the question, how in the world did that happen? How did Peter, this common fisherman, have the wherewithal to present a message of the gospel to these learned Jews in a way that they believed? It happened because Peter had been in relationship with Jesus. He had spent time with him. He had learned from him. He had grown in his faith with him. And he was prepared to present the message of the gospel to these Jews gathered at Pentecost for the feast in Jerusalem. In Acts 4, Peter and John are dragged before the Sanhedrin for preaching the gospel. Now the Sanhedrin was the Jewish high court. It was the equivalent of their supreme court. It was the highest law in the land. And, and Peter and John are dragged before it, and they demand that they stop preaching the gospel that Jesus is the Christ. And Peter and John reply saying, you do to us what you want, but we cannot stop telling what we have seen and what we have heard. They were, <laughs> they were courageous. They were unstoppable when they were preaching the gospel, even when the Jewish high court commanded them to hush. They said, you do what you have to do. We're going to do what we have to do. We cannot stop telling. Now, where did Peter and John gain the courage to do that? It came from being in a relationship with Christ. A few chapters over in Acts 7, Stephen has been preaching. And the Sanhedrin this time is bolder. And rather than just telling Stephen to be quiet, the Sanhedrin whips up the crowd into a frenzy. And they take Stephen out and stone him to death. And Stephen perseveres in the faith, and he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where did that come from? It came from a relationship that Stephen had with Jesus. How do you explain the dramatic difference made in the lives of these followers of Jesus? They walked with Jesus in a relationship and not a religion. There was a relationship, Lord and servant, but also friend. And it was something that took this ordinary ragtag group of disciples and had them preaching and proclaiming before the Jewish multitudes in such a way that thousands believed. And the only way to explain that is the relationship they had in that early church with their Messiah. The church was folks who believed in Jesus, who were involved in a relationship with Jesus, but they were also folks who loved like Jesus. There are a lot of organizations out there, a lot of things to do, a lot of good civic groups to belong to, but there's no organization like the church that loves like Jesus. In these verses, Acts 2, verse 45, it says, they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. There was such love within the household of faith, within the church, that they could not sit still if they had extra 
and they saw a brother or sister of Christ in need. If I have something that you need, I'm going to share it. That was the love that turned the world upside down. And the world had never seen unconditional, sacrificial love like that. And it changed everything about how they did things. But not only did the church love within the walls of the church, but it says over in Acts 3 verse 6, here Peter and John on the way to the temple to worship and there's a man who is lame and he says, help me. And Peter and John look at him and say, we don't have any money. We don't have any silver and gold, but what I have, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And this man who had been lame rose up and walked and they gave him what they could. And it was a miraculous healing the man experienced because they loved him and their hearts went out to him and they couldn't pass by him and do nothing. Love distinguishes the church. And I think to the extent that we love within the body of Christ and outside the walls of the church, we reflect Christ to the world. And if we don't do a very good job of that, we don't really distinguish ourselves as being any different from any other civic club or organization. Because there's a lot of clubs out there doing good. But there's only one organization, the body of Christ, that loves unconditionally and sacrificially. There's a Peanuts cartoon where Schroeder is playing at his piano and Lucy is leaning up against it, always in love with Schroeder and trying to catch his eye. And so Lucy asks Schroeder, she says, Schroeder, do you know what love is? And Schroeder pauses his playing and he looks up, pondering in the, in the sky and he says, love, a noun, to be fond of, a strong affection for or attachment or devotion to a person or persons. And he looks down and resumes playing. And Lucy, crestfallen, shrugs her shoulders and says, on paper, he's great. On paper. And, and sometimes I think churches are a lot like that. We look good on paper. But when it comes to the reality of loving like Jesus loved, how well do we do? A lot of folks know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer because he wrote his letters from prison in Nazi Germany and was arrested you know, by, the, by the Nazis for preaching the gospel and put to death by hanging shortly before the Allies came and liberated the prison camp where he was um, incarcerated. But what a lot of folks don't know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer is prior to that arrest and his letters from prison, he was a university professor at the University of Berlin. And in conjunction with that job, he also assumed the role of chaplain at a technical institute in a poor section of the city of Berlin. He was a chaplain at a technical institute. The young men, the boys who weren't smart enough or rich enough to get into the University of Berlin ended up going to this technical institute where Bonhoeffer was chaplain. And he looked at these boys and his heart went out to them because they were without guidance, without love. And Bonhoeffer sold his home and rented an apartment in that section of the poor side of Berlin and opened up his apartment to about 40 of those, those boys and they came in and he fed them 
And, and he, they played games together and they had discussions and he read Bible stories to them and he loved them because the love of Christ was within him. Augustine put it like this, what does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has the eyes to see misery and want. It has the, has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. Love does not close itself off when there are needs around us, but has the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the feet to move and the hands to work to alleviate those needs and to make a difference in the world around us because of that love of Christ compels us to do so. The church not only believes in Jesus and walks with Jesus, but also loves like Jesus. And the fourth and final thing I want you to see about this early church that was so contagious was that the early church talked about Jesus. Over one chapter, two chapters, five, verse 42, it says, And every day in the temple and at home they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Every day in the temple, at home, they did not cease teaching and preaching what? That Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is God's son whom he foretold and who is here to save us from our sins. And it didn't matter where they were. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter what the conversation was. They found a way to work Jesus in. It's, it's all throughout the opening chapters of the book of Acts. Every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So what was it? Every day. You do it every day. Not just on Sunday, not just Tuesday night faith, not just Wednesday night prayer meeting, but every day. It becomes a lifestyle. You're talking about Jesus and you're reflecting Him by how you live. Every day. Secondly, to every person. First century Christians witnessed to everybody. They were indiscriminate in their witnessing. Jews, Gentiles, saved, unsaved, whatever race, class, culture, it didn't matter. To everyone they told about Jesus. I looked up on the internet this week. There are currently 7 billion people in the world today. 7 billion. Now how many of that 7 billion are sinners? All of them, all seven billion. How many of that seven billion need a savior? All of them, all seven billion. So to whom do you think God wants us to proclaim the gospel? To all of them, to every single group, person, background, race, nation, culture, class, Jesus died for them all. There is no one for whom Jesus did not die. It's God's desire that all be saved. And that early church exploded because they shared the gospel every day to everybody and finally in every possible way, every method they could think of in the temple, at the house, preaching, teaching, conversations, discussion. They used scripture. They used social ministry to reflect their love. They used current events and brought Jesus into it. Whatever method you use, you will find in the New Testament 
that the church is people who talked about Jesus all the time. All the time. Now, if we are going about our daily affairs and someone wants to come up and talk about Jesus, we think they are a freak or a radical or, or a, a little unstable or something like that. But the early church, everybody, every member, just talked about Jesus all the time and they reflected his love in all that they said and did because they believed in him, they walked with him, they loved like him, and they talked about him all the time. So if this is group A and they call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ, and this group B does not, what distinguishes this group? They believe in Jesus and they have personally and deliberately and voluntarily proclaimed their faith in him. It's not something they were born into. It's not something that happened because they were a citizen in a certain country. It is a belief in Jesus that set them apart. They spent time with Jesus. We can't do that personally today as he walked on the earth 2,000 years ago, but we have his words and we have his spirit dwelling within us. We have prayer. We have everything we need to learn everything that they learned in the early church. They loved like Him. They loved and they sacrificed their own possessions so that anyone who had need, those needs might be met. And then they talked about Him all the time. Now I guess my question is, this description of the church in the first century, do you think it's something that was just intended to be in the first century and not in the 21st century? Is it just something that was intended to depict that, those early days of the church, but all the things that describe that early church are no longer possible today? I think not. I think that everything that the early church did, we can do. I think everything the early church had, we have. Everything God wanted of the early church, He expects of us today. And so when people in Tifton see members of First Baptist Tifton, I hope they look at us and say, look, there's the church. There's the church. And it's not just a building on the corner of Fourth and Love, but it's the people who've gathered to worship and then scattered to serve and tell and love and disciple and believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Folks, you and I are the church. And to the extent that we replicate these practices of the first century church, we'll reach people like they did. Because there are seven billion people in the world today that are desperate to believe in something who need a Savior because they're sinners and they know there's something wrong and they can't fix it and they don't know what it is and they need somebody to tell them. God might be sending you to be that person. Let's bow together. God, we read these pages of the early church and the dramatic role it played 
and exploding thousands of people all over the Roman Empire. And we think, how did that happen? And why do we seem so listless and lifeless today? What's the difference? And it's, it's got to be the, the foundational belief, the relationship, the love, and the conversation that early church had about you, thinking about you, focusing on you, sharing you with everyone with whom they came into contact. And we go about our business, we come here to worship, but are you really that integral part of our lives as you were in that early church? Father, show us where there's a need in our life to make more room for you, where we can be the church in 2013 for you in this community and around the world so that when people see us, they'll know that we are a church unlike any other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.